Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hurst from FasterSkier.com. On this episode, we break down a pretty awesome weekend of racing in Lillehammer, Norway, with a couple of special guests from my home state of Maine. Stay tuned. We will be right back. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Marty and Kathy Hall and their Hallmark of Excellence Award. Marty and Kathy have been longtime supporters of Faster Skier and the cross-country ski community, and we are grateful to them. I am delighted to uh, welcome probably the most infamous guests that the, the Devin Kershaw podcast will, will ever host. Um, we have Olivia Orr, who uh, was a teammate of mine at one of the uh, New England powerhouse ski schools, Bowdoin College. Uh, Olivia is now, um, Olivia does a lot of things, but, uh, including web design, uh, including shit disturbing in the Portland, Maine, uh, political realm and some ski coaching here and there and some ski fanning for sure. And some ski podcast fanning. And then I think Olivia, um, you can introduce, uh, Hannah as well. Yep. So this is my friend, Hannah DeAngelis. Um, and she describes herself as my sidekick in this sort of obsession with the World Cup skiing, skiing in general. Um, Hannah also grew up skiing and um, she is the slowest member of her family, yeah. which is big into skiing. Her dad is a coach. One of her, actually two of her brothers went to Bowdoin and were on the team. And, and um, not, not to not to diminish Hannah's own accomplishments, which I'm sure are numerous, but um, I mean, I, I think her, her dad is like a pretty legendary coach of Marana Cook High School. In, oh yeah, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Very Maine. big in the you know, Central Maine skiing area. Nice. Also, Huge she, she told me to say that, but to be clear, we're the same speed. Like we're both equally bad at this point. So that felt really cruel coming out of my mouth. Random is yeah. much stronger than our skill at this point. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's very abundantly clear that um, aside, aside from the show's namesake, there are no requirements for any level of athletic talent or, or ability to appear on this podcast, uh, even as a co-host. So um you know, and not me. Let's talk about my <laughs> let's talk about my ski skills right now. Not great. So <laughs> yeah, it would so, be interesting to put yeah. all four of us together uh in a race. Yeah, I'm we'd sure, make I'm a, sure it'd be close. We'd make, yeah. Well, <laughs> no, but I think we wouldn't do we wouldn't none of us would fare that well in the mixed relay that's happening and by the stolen next weekend. So maybe we should just sit uh-huh. that one out. We don't want we'll be jet uh-huh. like everyone's sick before Christmas. Like we're not gonna go there. Yeah. Well. So Devin, you were, uh, you were on scene for this weekend. Um, I, I don't know if you want to like open it, open it up or talk about what you were, what you were doing in Lillehammer. I mean, that was a, a pretty awesome time. Yeah, no, well, I mean, I live in Lillehammer, so there's that, but, um, the Canadian national ski team, uh, yeah, like we were, we're a little thin staffed. I think that's fair to stay, say in period one. So the they recruit, uh, they recruit, they recruit the alumni when they can. And it would just worked out for me. I mean, I did skip a couple of days of school, but I, it, by choice I did, it was really fun. And I, I love working and helping out the team and we have an exciting young crop of, uh, of athletes. And then some, well, I guess now they're like pseudo veterans. I would never call them veterans yet, but some, uh, some athletes that I know quite well and some of the young, young guns as well. So it was really fun to, to help out. I was just a jack of all trades, like do whatever needs to be done. So 
a little bit of waxing, not race waxing, mostly like cleaning skis or putting blue on them uh, and testing a lot of skis, testing wax, testing, yeah, a lot of athlete skis and then just going over the course with some athletes and that sort of stuff. So it was a lot of fun. And Little Hummer delivered like a really great weekend, at least conditions wise. It was, um, you know, as of three weeks ago, it's kind of touch and go. It's been a really warm, warm and dry uh, autumn here in Scandinavia, or at least in Southern Scandinavia. Um, so we were all a little worried, but they pulled it off and it was a, it was a great event. And we even had some fans. I don't know if you guys noticed, but like Saturday was actually like quite a good turnout for Lillehammer. Mm -hmm. I'll uh, throw some shade at Lillehammer. I think Lillehammer's fan game is garbage. And I think that's, I always get like, yeah, but it's December and it's dark and people don't want to be out there. And if it was in March, it'd be better. But anyway, Saturday was the fan game was good. And, um, a lot of just a lot of exciting racing all around, especially on the women's side. I can't wait to to break down the women's races. I thought they were I thought they were just so fun to watch. And there was some great, I mean, the sprints, the men's sprint was super fun too. And lots of lots of good stuff happening. But I mean, if people were hoping to tune in and not hear about Norwegian men dominance and how I feel about that, then you can just skip this one because the Norwegian men just wiped the floor with the field as they well, as we've been talking about for a while now that they were going to do, that was definitely uh, the moral of the story for this weekend. But it was a great event and and um, a lot of great storylines, I think. Yeah. Hey, Devin, so I, I've never been to Norway or any World Cup race, actually. And I'm so curious about, like, how people get over to the stadium. Like, is there public transit or are people like driving over there? Like, I just want to know more about the scene of like how people are watching the races. Like, are people posted up all day with like hand warmers or what's going on? Yeah, Lillehammer is a, a great example actually of this because we like it because it's the site of where like the Berkebiner, the big ski classics Loppet finishes. It finishes at the Berkebiner Stadium, which is the stadium where they have the, the World Cup. Uh, it's got like a massive parking lot. So there's that. So a lot of people drive up, they'll, they'll drive up and park, but then there's also an amazing bus service and the, the organizing committee did a really good job of shuttling people from downtown Lillehammer up to the, up to the race site using city buses, but, um, designated for, for this. And it turned out to be like what I thought was kind of impressive with Lillehammer this time around that I haven't seen as much in the past as much It's getting more and more is it, it really has like, it has something for everyone. So in Norway, it's become this really big thing that if you're young and in college, you go to a cross country ski race with like huge speakers and essentially you get drunk. Like it, you party in the forest and watch some skiing and hang out with your friends. And we had a huge contingent of that. There's the university in Lillehammer as well. So they came out in full force, which was awesome because that's what makes a great environment. And with they're not like, doing with this like the the smoke and the grilled meat. And yeah, totally. Meat. Yeah, everything. <laughs> yeah. It stinks like beer. It stinks like stale beer, even though it's not stale beer, I guess it's bread. But like, and the cool thing about it is like, they're not doing this in like the sliding area that the kids are at in the stadium. They have like a, you know, a whole kids thing where they can roast hot dogs and get a start number and mess around. Like they're out on the course and they're making a great environment out in the course in the forest and in the stadium. Most of the time, it's a lot of families that are around in the stadium with younger kids and everyone having fun. So um, that that's that's really the scene. And, and so I would say, like, traditionally in Little Hummer, most people would drive up and park. But 
that's because we don't have that many fans in the Hummer compared to what it should be. And and this weekend where there was more fans than normal, uh, the, it seemed like the, the the bus option was really, really well executed. And there was just tons of people coming back and forth throughout the whole day, especially on the sprint day. So that's, uh, that's kind of the scene. But if you want to kind of have an image, if you want to go to a ski race in Norway and have a great time and you're young and you can keep up, and you're out in the woods on the trail side, really like listening to loud, bad music and, mm-hmm. and, and yelling and screaming and having a fire and roasting stuff. It's really fun. And if you want to keep it like more, more chill and more family friendly, just stick around the stadium area or like <laughs> a couple little hills that are more like family friendly. And it, there's something for everyone. So are, are people, it, are people camped out in Lillehammer? Is that only like an Oslo no. or McClellan thing? I think it's a spring thing, honestly. Like Norway is depressing for Christmas, and that's just the facts. And in in home and cold, and that's where the camping really, really happens. Although, like if there's a national championship in in Lillehammer, which there has been quite a few times, there will be people camping in the woods and cheering on people for national championships. So no question, if there was a World Cup in the spring, maybe we would see people camping here, winter camping, yeah, but not not this weekend. So should we should we start with the um, national Norwegian championships of uh, men's distance racing? I guess we probably should, but before we do that, not to bury the lead too much. I mean, we will get to Jesse Diggins' master performance in the 10K skate to win on a course that suited her so well, and I have a lot to say about that. But we'll we'll kind of circle back around with that. Now yeah, let's start with the men. It was a beatdown of epic proportions in the 10K skate, and. At the same time, it's like, I don't know what to say when you see the images and you see how they're skiing. Like like the pressure, it's also hard to discuss the pressure of all these guys, especially the non-national team guys, but the guys that are just below the national team level, they get one chance. And if you don't deliver on this chance, like maybe if you race extraordinarily well at Norwegian Nationals in July, July, oh my God, January, if you race extraordinarily well in January, maybe you'll get some chances in the third period of the World Cup. Otherwise, like, have fun on the Norwegian Cup. And and we saw a performance that was outstanding of a young uh, Ivar Tildem Tildem Anderson. You don't even you don't even know his name, dude. <laughs> I know his name. You know yeah, why I know his name? Right no, but you know what was hard. You know what I have a hard time with. It's like I can like put on this like Norwegian, like, cause I speak Norwegian and say it Norwegian. And I'm like, but then it just sounds like, so I don't know. I think it always sounds brutal when you have an English speaking or like person, like just like all of a sudden snap, I'm not Norwegian. I'm never will be. I don't want to be <laughs> like, and then all of a sudden go like, yeah, yeah, and then just like spout off with like uh, trying to do my Norwegian accent. Not a great look. <laughs> no, it's not a great look. It's, it's lame. So we'll just call him Ivar, Ivar. Mm-hmm. And he was 22 years old. had done one world cup before. Last year in Holman Colon, it was classic, mind you. He was 24th, but he did win World Juniors and I was there when he won World Juniors in Germany back in the days, not even that much back in the days, just when COVID was hitting like a month later, two weeks later, COVID exploded. And this was in Germany in 2020. He won the 30K skate at World Juniors there where Remy Drolet, a Canadian, was fourth in the same race. And for the American fans, that was a real beatdown event for American ski fans where the American men had no one swaggers as hard as the American men at that championship, Gus Schumacher winning, winning world juniors, and then them taking the relay. So, um, he's not un- unknown, but it was crazy. And to beat the names that he beat was crazy. 
And the way he did it was crazy. Everything about that event is crazy. And I think that kind of illustrates how, like, you know, it just gets discussed a lot of the times, like, well, how deep is Norwegian skiing? Or like, everyone says like, how, like, this is how deep it is. The 22 year old kids that never get a chance when everything lines up, perfect skis, perfect body, perfect everything, they can win. And like, this could be the start of his career. You know, a lot of the guys like Thomas Allsgaard back in the day or Bjorn Dolly or uh, Bjorn Dolly actually got to start a little earlier as a junior. But there's a lot of names that got shots young, delivered, and then they become staples. They just become staples on the World Cup for like 10 years or 15 years. Next thing you know, they retire like after 15 years or whatever with multiple championship medals, gold medals, everything. And and this could be this could be the beginning of something special with the... Uh, with uh, Mr. Anderson there, but we'll just have to see. But regardless, it was a it was an amazing performance, and I, I have to say too. I mean, like, thank God for Musgrave, but like, Musgrave doesn't even really count. Region. Yeah, I know he's pretty much Norwegian, which is a bummer. But like, fourth place, my heart broke. The guy just can't catch a break for World Cup podiums, and it was so close for him this weekend. And he was skiing really, really well in the skate race. He's having a great start to the season. Today's insanely bad tactical decision notwithstanding <laughs> we will come back to that uh sure well we have to yeah oh no, we I will no more yeah that was a mistake but but uh anyways it was a, it was it was a wonderful race and like you said just when you have nine norwegians in the top 10 and i think what was it 10 no 11 in the top 12 or 11 10 in the top 12 at least it, it was just it was just crazy uh dominance and it's killing the sport I, like i've said i'm just like i'm a broken record but like but it's not their fault they're good it's the rest of the world that has to like step up and you know get their shit together and start training better and belief because i really i don't know what you guys think but like i really get worried when people just like you can't lose the belief that you can compete and in men's distance skiing i think we're almost we're not at a tipping point yet but like the meteor of lost belief is careening towards earth. And before it smashes into like the world of men's distance skiing, you have to do something about it. So, I mean, it's um, hard to watch and it was hard to watch even yeah. like when Russia was in the picture, yeah. like, that was still very difficult to watch because it was always Russia and Norway. And I'm wondering, Devin, if you can talk a little bit about like, cause I know the Norwegians like, qualify for this team like based on a race that was pretty recent whereas the U.S. like they named their team like in the summer late summer or whatever so people are like I assume training towards that form so they can qualify for this team and they also had like more slots on their course but does that really have anything to do with it or would they be in top form even if this was a month from now like would this be a possibility like I don't really have yeah. a general sense of that and like do other teams qualify in that way and so I guess maybe it's not even worth <laughs> using that oh it's an awesome question yeah i know it is it, i think this is great i think it's such an insightful question because in norway the championship reigns supreme like it does everywhere in the world i mean like championship medals is what it's all about in our sport even though the world cup's a huge deal but um you're absolutely right like <clears throat> because the margins are so thin and the chances these norwegian kids have to like break into the world cup are so few it's by the stolen which is the first race of the season like the, the pre the fist race the week before the world cup, this is where like 120 dudes that are training, like over 800 out more like 900, a thousand hours a year are like killing themselves all summer and like dreaming of like breaking out. 
have their first chance. And if they miss that chance, then it's like, there is no other chance for you until Norwegian nationals in January. And then if you miss that, that's the season. Like you don't get a chance to come into the world cup. So you're absolutely right. In period one, these competitive teams like Norway and Russia, actually, that have huge, huge cohorts of very talented, very hardworking men, especially the margins are so thin that everybody is trying to come to these races in November and early December, not like in pretty good shape. They, they're trying to be in the best shape of their entire, entire life, like lifetime best November 19th, you know, and, and that's not what Americans do. That's not what Canadians do. That's not what even what Swedish have had to do that in the past for the men They don't have to now, but, but uh, yeah, so there's very few countries that, that have to be on such sharp form like Russia or, or Norway. And, and I would add that, you know, we've seen like, particularly in the past week, like there's been enormous controversy in Norway about like which national team members are getting starts in these races in Lillehammer. And like, because there are all these guys that are like up and comers uh, that, you know, had pretty good results, like in, in Vitestolen or in like the following week. Um, and then they, they are seeing like in particular uh, Emil Everson, like getting these starts after like, you know, he, he had a not great start to the season in uh in Ruka and then he got another start in uh in Lillehammer and like you know there were like all kinds of newspaper headlines about people basically trashing the the um Norwegian ski team's decisions about who gets to start so it's like it's and I I think just the pressure and the scrutiny on those decisions too is like unlike anywhere else The, the other thing I would just add about the um about the depth in Norway I mean you know I think you already sort of spoke to it, Devin, but just to emphasize, I mean, watching, watching this race, the fact that you can have like a 22 year old who name, I mean, maybe I should know it, but obviously, you know, second world cup race, complete unknown. And then I, I was also struck in the sprint where, you know, they do the, the camera, you know, introducing each person in the sprint and, you know, five or six times they'd like come to a person and they'd be like, you know, it's Norway, they're not wearing a national team suit. And it's like third world cup start and they qualified in, in 12th and, you know, they'll be racing this weekend and they'll race next weekend in Vita stolen because um, important for people to understand when the races are in a given country, in this case, Norway, the home country gets, gets a lot more starts and, and spots in the race. That's why we're seeing so much Norwegian dominance and so many suits in these races, but it's like, we're going to see these people in like two or four races this year. And then they're just going to go back to, you know, racing in the minor leagues of Scandinavian ski racing until, you know, they get another shot in Vita Stolen to like maybe win the race and get one more shot in Lillehammer next year. Oh, exactly. That's, that's, that's uh, aptly put. And before we move on for the men, because like, here's the, here's the story of the men, Norway crushed everyone. It was like head shakingly dominant. It was not good for the sport, but you can't, fault people that are just better so hats off to Norway but there's a guy I know really well and he's in he he was 15 his name's Henrik Gunnestad he was second in by the stolen if you remember two weeks ago mm. I love this story this is just bananas okay this is where the pressure is on and delivering like it's almost like otherworldly and I know people listening be like why are we going to spend like two minutes talking about a guy in 15th here's why Klebo wakes up with a sore throat Friday morning, calls the boss of Norway, Norwegian skiing, says, Espen, I, I'm out. I have a sore throat. I'm not racing today. They're like, okay. They have these lists. 
but Friday morning. This doesn't happen Thursday night at midnight. This happens Friday morning, like a couple hours before the race starts. They call Henrik, who is out skiing in Shushin with a buddy, another guy I know. He's like an hour from his car. And they say like, hey, do you want to race the World Cup? For people at home, Shushin is like 15 minutes from the World Cup Stadium. Like the parking lot in Shushin and the World Cup Stadium in Lillehammer is like a 15-minute drive. And he's like, yeah. He busts his ass back to the car, drives down, shows up at the stadium within half an hour of his start. He gets put last in the start field because because he can't take Claybo's spot, who is like in the red group. And Henrik's not in the red group. He's only raced a couple of World Cups. The kid races, bib 81, like the last starter, like no one's out there anymore. He's not getting any information. There's no coaches at the split stations anymore. Everyone's like walking around. He finishes 15th. He's 35 seconds off the win. And he's seven, eight seconds from the top 10. And he was out, he had, like he had skied an hour and a half already. Like he was out training in the mountains when he gets like a call, like luckily he had his phone with him. This is just like the most bonkers thing. And it just illustrates like how much this means to these people. And when they get opportunities, they, most of the time, they kind of take them. And it's the way I liken it too, is like for, I'm Canadian. So like I, maybe a lot of Americans listening don't, or there's not that many listeners, but any Americans that listen <laughs> that don't know, like hockey, <laughs> hockey, if, if, if like guys go down in the NHL and you're, you're like cruising around in the AHL and you get called up to the NHL to the show, that's your chance. Like if you get called up from the AHL and you score a hat trick and then the next night you have three points as well, guess what? Like that could be your career. Right. And, and this is kind of the mentality these Norwegian guys have. And so anyway, I just wanted to say that. I also wanted to say before we move on to the women, two quick things. The struggle bus continues for the North American racers, at least in distance on this day. And we'll get, we had some highlights coming up later, but like, I thought, but I thought that said, I thought like Kedersen in 26th wasn't so bad. It was a tight race. And I just want to tip my hat to him. It's tough. It's been a tough start uh, for the American men. And like Gus Schumacher, Schumacher, even though I, I don't know him super well, I know 32nd is not where you want to be. It's not where you should be. You're a world junior champion. You are good. Keep the faith. Be patient. It's well, going to come and, around. But it didn't come around this day, and it and wasn't I, a good race. And I, I mean, I would I would quickly add, you know, literally 10 seconds takes Gus Schumacher from 32nd to, like, 19th. And, and not to say that, you know, that's still, you know, you're still not in the top 20. But, like, these margins in these races, like, it's it's, like, knife's edge going from whatever forgettable day to really really good day um and you know it'll be interesting to see what it takes for those guys to to sharpen up into kind of more competitive form if that happens yeah for sure for sure absolutely so well, a, a kind of a tough day the canadians not not having not having a great skate day um you know tony or like antoine Sear. He was sick in Ruka with a cold, with a head cold, so he didn't race there. So it wasn't that surprising that he wasn't on top, top form. But there was a kid, and this, and then I said we'd move on, and I've just talked too much. <laughs> Joe Davies, Great Britain, the guy's Canadian. He was 43rd, and I just want to give a shout-out to Joe Joe Davies and uh, of Great Britain. The guy is a grinder. He trains super hard. He really, really considered 
quitting cross-country skiing last year, barely didn't race all that much and was just like really questioning, made the jump, his dual citizen. So he's like, I'm going to give it a try with Great Britain. And he's right, right close to like Schumacher and Olivier and these guys with world junior medals that are his cohort, like also really young. He was the seventh under 23 racer in the race in uh on the 10k skate i thought it was i thought it was a great performance and actually like pretty inspiring to see because like it's not every day that like a blue collar guy in junior is able to be like with world junior medalists in that in these events like it's it's uh is impressive so i always like those kind of stories so i just did mention that quickly i did also want to quickly ask him you can breeze through this but like it was was wax did you get the sense that wax was a factor in this race i mean seeing you know top 10 or 11 like andrew musgraves having his skis waxed by the norwegians as well we are on norwegian snow like presumably they've had like you know joe anderson in lillehammer for six months you know testing skis so just curious about yeah. that. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't bring that up because usually I know people listening would be like, why isn't Kershaw just like completely undressing the Swedes? You know, like Cali's back being garbage. Like what happened? You know what? The Swedish skis weren't that good. They, they, they Swede, the Swedes missed their skis. They really did. Um, but on the, on the flip side, the Germans hit their skis really well. Lillehammer can be kind of weird in December because um, you have uh a lot of saved snow so the whole base is like saved snow that's buried under under uh, sawdust and then this year it snowed like 30 centimeters over this base of like kind of sawdust dirty snow and then it doesn't when it starts transforming it doesn't go to like sugar conditions that we're all used to when snow transforms it, it almost like turns to flour it's weird like take a it's christmas season right like we're all baking like christmas cookies and stuff like take your white flour and jam your hand in there and then like throw it up in the air and look at how fine and weird it is. Like it's not fast. Like imagine skiing on a bunch of white flour, it's slow. And that's what it does. So it's like, can be really compact. It looks really good. It's like fast ish. Like it feels fast. And then once it breaks down, it turns into like, I don't know, five centimeters or three, three, five centimeters of like really fine flour. And it, it it's, it's really slow. So the Swedes definitely missed their skis, both the women and the men, but definitely the men's skis were for Sweden. They missed it big time. So there was some, there was some differences with skis. Absolutely. And uh, that, that's, that's no question in the, in the skate race. Um, so what about, uh, what about Jesse Diggins? What about Jesse Diggins? <laughs> what? A, I mean, we get accused, like we, we've gotten some emails in the past that like, we're like the, like a Jesse Diggins fan club. And I like, I get criticized for not like criticizing Jesse more if things go bad, but like, the reason why we're Jesse Diggins fan club podcast is, did you see that? Like, <laughs> did you see how she was skiing? First of all, the core suits are super well. It's flat. They, 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 we weren't on like the traditional Lillehammer World Cup course, which is the hardest World Cup course ever. We're on like a, a bathlon course, like a roller ski loop. It's like quite flat. A lot of turns. It's like no one descends better than Diggins. No one does gradual downhills with corners better than Jesse Diggins. Like carrying your speed, no one does it better. So on paper before the race started, like you had, like you said, we all saw what happened in Ruka. She was great. Like she was great in the skate portion in Ruka. Like she was charging second fastest time, blah, blah, blah. But, um, so high expectations. And then she opens like she does, like, which is just like gun to tape and ILA, like wow, right from the word go. And then the last lap, like she's wrecked. I don't know if you saw like her technique and stuff on the last lap, but like kids don't do not try and like you try and mimic Jesse Diggins on every other, everything else she does. But like the last lap of the 10 K win, maybe don't try and ski like that skate skating, but no one goes deeper. Like 
Jesse can just hurt more than anyone else. And like the fact that she's like staying on her feet for the last K and a half of those corners, but not just staying on her feet, like putting time into Henning is crazy. So what a performance by Diggins. I'm super inspired. I don't, what did you guys think of that? Can you, I'm wondering if you can talk about her like start position because I've seen sort of like conflicting views on whether or not it's like best to start in the back. I think she started in the back, right? Yeah. Um, like, is it best to like be able to hear where you are because you have all these people in front of you and maybe you can like tag on with someone who's already going. Um, but I think it was um, an article on Pastor Skier that said she had less time to warm up on the course, which maybe is a give and take. Oh, that's also a good point. I think we, I don't know if we've talked about that before, but like in the red group, you can, you can pick where, where you want to start the red group start, but within like this kind of like, the red group like, being like the top ranked skiers. Yeah. The, the top, the, the top 15 ranked skiers in the world cup or top 30 in distance. But anyway, and based on that, there's like a breakdown depending on how you, so if you rank like 25th, or I think it's actually top 15 now they get to pick. So let's say you rank like 14th or something in the distance cup standings. Like, yeah, <laughs> you get the second worst, you get, you, you pick second last. Like, so the higher you are on the ranking, the better pick you have. And it's a conflicting thing. It's exactly what you said, like less time to warm up on the course. And when there's, when you're in Lillehammer with a, not a whole lot of snow, that, that affects your warm up. Of course it does. It means you have to warm up on flatter terrain and, and like maybe um, not have those big hills to, to hit your, the heart rates you need to hit. Like everyone's wearing heart rate monitors or whatever in the warm up to, to have a perfect warm up physiologically. And then, and Diggins would, wouldn't have that. But at the same time, it's 10k. It's a flat course. Diggins knows it's going to be tight or probably going to be tight. And she has all the information out there. Yeah. So it's a huge advantage in these tight individual starts. I think my own personal opinion to if you're the best, if you're the if you're if you're going to win, like you're trying to win, it's a huge advantage to have the information because you know everything. If you're getting splits, you're leading, like you are going to win the race if you just keep that pace to the finish line. So that's a huge advantage for someone like Diggins. Someone that's not quite as good as Diggins, it's not always a great advantage to start so deep in the red group because then you're going to miss rides. So a lot of athletes that are like, you know, 10th best in the world, they're like trying to, trying to crack a top 10 out. They'll try and be strategic and look to, okay, where, where can I start to give myself the best chance to get a ride from Diggins for a lap or a ride from Heidi Wang? Like, where can I start here? And, and they might try and start earlier in the red group. You're giving up getting time from the others, but you're gaining by increasing your probability to lap through. So you'll have done one lap alone and then lap through when Heidi is starting and then get a ride. And that, and that happens all the time. That happened in the men's race. It always happens a lot in the men's race, but it happens in the women's races as well. And, and you can get, you can get lucky. And they, they talk, this gets talked about in team meetings and they try and they try and, uh, Game the capitalize capitalize on that but but diggins diggins she knew I, I i think i mean like i didn't talk to her specifically about this this weekend but like she knows the course she knows it's 10k skate she's in good shape she wants to deliver and she's like i don't give a shit about my warm-up i don't give a shit about rides if i'm gonna win i just need to know where i am in the field from the word go and she was able to do that and she delivered it was awesome well so she and completely actually fell apart after 6k like completely <laughs> destroyed like completely blew up after six kilometers and somehow like she always does, uh, continue to ski super fast as her technique went in the toilet. 
She uh, she actually um, in in her comments that got sent around, she actually talked about how she normally does not like to get splits, and maybe that's because of Jesse Diggins' unique, as you described it, gun to tape annihilate style of racing, where she's just absolutely smashing from K1 and she doesn't need someone to tell her to go faster because she's already going as fast as she can but she said this weekend for whatever reason the information was actually really helpful she also said there was like a big group of Americans out on the course that was like really hyping her up um I also wanted to just emphasize um this race was absolutely fucking great spectate like great race to watch the whole weekend the women just delivered absolutely awesome drama you know they had uh, Katarina Hennig uh, from Germany, who, who was racing lights out this this weekend, she was uh, in the leader's chair for you know five or ten minutes, basically just having to watch Jesse Diggins, <sighs> you know, be within a second or two seconds at all these splits, and you know you had great shots of of Hennig like seriously stressing out. Um, I would also add, um, I guess, Devin, you probably didn't get to experience this, but um, Olivia and Hannah, you may have noticed that um, weirdly, because this was Norway, the television production was trash again. Um, they they were like sticking the wrong like names up. They were, they would they cut the people, then they'd cut away, then they'd come, mm-hmm. come back. And like, it just, I don't know what was going on. I don't know also if the people in the production truck like get to the end of a day like that and they like pat themselves on the back and they're like, <laughs> you really like did a good job because you guys absolutely are doing a shitty job. And I just, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I think, you know, it was pretty good the the, the other two days of the weekend, but it just was like, um, am I going to have to talk about this again? I guess I'm going to have to talk about it again. Um, Olivia and Hannah, you guys can back me up here. No, I'm backing you up. I remember they showed, it was at the beginning, it was like the second and the sixth starter or something. And the, the guy who was commenting on the US Ski and Snowboard Live was like, oh, twins maybe, but it was, <laughs> it was the same name. Like maybe they are twins, I don't know, but they don't have the same name. Like they don't have the same person's last name. <laughs> Could be, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It's it's just, um, but it's but it's dumb for sure. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see that this weekend because I was out there. But uh, that that's unacceptable. And they, they they like these are the kind of things. I mean, like we sound like broken records here too. But I mean, we're already in a tough fight. And the, especially these women's races that, like you said, are exciting. And I, I mean, like we said, handing in second in skating. Like this was a breakthrough performance. Victoria Carl, who is also a world junior champion a, lot, a while ago, like she's she's now twenty seven. But like sixth place, what a gutsy performance by her. And like and she crushed it in the sprint yeah, too. She like totally. The Germans yeah, no, it's exactly the crazy. Germans are doing great. And like Patricia Aduka, I don't know if anyone's following her, but she's from Latvia. She's born in 2000. She's 22 years old. She had just a phenomenal race in 11th. So it, it's and Catherine Stewart Jones. We're gonna get to her for like today's race, but like breakthrough performance. I know people like don't really understand what this means, but like you gotta walk before you can run and. 26th individual start skate race this is norway not, Kath, in norway in norway yeah is this is not have Catherine stewart jones's name for top 30s and she's been in great shape this whole period one i mean we're a couple we're, this is week two so <laughs> but the last two weeks she's been really good and and to see her deliver a great performance like that early was awesome so there's lots to cheer about no matter what no matter who you are and yeah when the when the when the Swedes missed their skis, like they did, I mean, 
everyone was talking like what happened to like Frida like whoa she's 25 <laughs> seconds back like what happened to her it's like stand out there on the course and watch where Frida's gliding to and watch how hard Frida's working live compared to like Anna Shirsty Calvo for example who was fifth like you can see it if you're if you like are experienced with it like you can definitely see the differences so it was a tough day for Sweden also in the women so Abba Anderson in fourth Wow, that was a crazy performance for Ebba with the ski she had on the day, which was uh, which was pretty wild. But but a really fun, really fun day all around for the for the 10k skate. Sophia Lockley in 29th. I know like Norwegian fans or not Norwegian American fans are going to be like you know Lockley skating. Let's go, let's do this. And and you know some of the younger some of the younger Americans are just they're struggling right now on the women's side. But there's been a lot of sickness in the American camp. A lot of respiratory stuff happening. A lot of people missing races. We didn't see Rosie race this weekend. She's uh, she's down with a respiratory virus. You, you know, McCabe's out. You have some staff that have been dealing with some some illness, and and that, that's also tough. I mean, people don't really appreciate how stressful that is for, for a team, but especially in period one, you're traveling a lot, and like there's so many people sick when you're in the airport, when you're on the plane, when you're eating at the buffet, like when you're just like moving from hotel to hotel and all these different environments and your shape's good. Right. So you're, you're kind of on a knife's edge yourself. Ah, it's heartbreaking to have, have, uh, America go through some, like it, it's, it's a touch and goes period right now with, with illness. And that, that just makes Jesse's performance even more impressive for me because Jesse, I know she's a professional and she's been at this a long time, but it also affects someone like Jesse when, a bunch of her staff every day are waking up and are ill and teammates are ill. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I was eating dinner with them like two days ago. And we, we chatted for an hour and a half and now they're wrecked with a fever. Like this, this is nerve wracking. And, and Diggins is not just tough uh, mentally out on the ski trail. She's also tough mentally in, in a team environment. So it, it's, it's, it's impressive. Do you know if it's like COVID still ripping through or if there are still like COVID protocols or if it's just like normal like flu and other viruses that travel around this time of year i won't like out anyone's health status sure, like, sure, that, sure, I know, sure. that i know that i know but i'll speak generally, but I'll speak generally. with covid tests but, but but i'll speak generally <laughs> covid's a thing yeah Co covid is most definitely a thing in europe right now yeah and the thing is is that like most athletes have at least two or well, most athletes have three doses of vaccine, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, athletes are also walking around in public spaces with N95 masks. So at the race hotel and that sort of thing, they've got N95 masks on always, except when they eat, of course. Um, so that, the, so they're definitely taking this seriously. There is COVID happening this is protocols are like essentially gone. <laughs> they're, they're that not, they're not, yeah. but, yeah. but, but they're, but they, they are though. They're essentially like, this is like, woo, pandemic's over, but not because a lot of these teams have team doctors. And if they don't have team doctors, then there's a lot of really great, um, that people work together really well across small teams. So for example, the Americans have, you know, doctors that travel with them as a volunteer basis, which is just so incredible. Canada right now doesn't have a doctor that's traveling with them, but if there was a Canadian, there's no Canadian sick right now, but if there was a Canadian that was sick, you know, they would be able to go see the American doctor or go see the Norwegian doctor. They, they, people work really well together with that. And all the teams have COVID tests and they're testing with any signs of symptoms. And 
when they get sick, they're isolated and they're, it's like, you have to kind of test your way out to be back in the, in the, in the team, even though you're from the U S. So, you know, if people are really ill, it's, it's a bummer, but it's a bummer for everybody. It's like, see, yeah, we're going to buy the stolen, like we'll organize to get you over uh, late at a later date, but it's not like, just like, yeah, chuck a mask on and hop in the team car. Like, no, no, no. Like you're, you're, you're isolated. So the teams are taking this super seriously. Absolutely. Especially, especially with COVID and, and flu. I haven't heard of anyone getting actual influenza yet, which is good. Although it's funny you ask that because in Scandinavia and in Europe in general, is there like the flu or like the influenza is moved up months by months. And the people are saying that they think the peak of the flu is going to be right around Christmas this year. And usually in Scandinavia, it's like February, March. So they're dealing with that too. So, but like I said, haven't heard anyone having issues with, with influenza, but yeah, no, for sure. Strict protocols by the teams, not run by FIS anymore. FIS has taken a step back. Well, good to know that, uh, you know, we don't have to worry about the flu at world championships, uh, <laughs> open, open season, no masks. Um, should we move on to the, uh, to the sprint? races absolutely absolutely we'll start with we'll start with the women's sprint i know there's some really exciting stuff with the men's sprint uh for american fans but we'll, we'll just like go through the women's sprint the swedish sprinters I, they're just so awesome like they're so awesome to watch Sundling's still out lynn swan's still out emma Ribom won her first world cup last weekend looked so good and pressed by an impressive dahlquist this weekend and yet still sneaks it out for the win. Tyrell Unisvang is having like this the season start of the gods. Like she's on the podium almost every race. Had just a wonderful sprint here. She's got the power of the yellow the yellow bib and I mean like out sprinting the likes of Diggins and Hogstrom who kind of fell apart in the final, but like the, it was it was just a great sprint all around like you said uh like you said Matt like all the women's races are so fun. You saw Fendrick skiing really well in the sprint. That's kind of to be expected in some ways, but you kind of forget about some of these people um, that that aren't every single week in, week out. You had Patricia Aduka again in the semifinals from Latvia. It, it, it had everything. I don't know, like Julia, of course, top 10, another top 10 from Julia. So the US has two top 10s. I thought, I thought Diggins was really gracious in her, in her interviews. And then when I was talking with her like off record or whatever afterwards, like, she was happy. She was happy to be in the final after winning a World Cup the day before, and to show that she still had the speed. I thought she she did what she needed to do to to put herself in positions to to win or take a medal. And the the fact of the matter was is like the three women that beat her were just better. And yeah, I thought there was a lot of great storylines, and it was a it was a really fun fun sprint to watch for the women's side of things on a course. I am not a fan of anyone that listened to this podcast last year. You'll know I'm not a fan <laughs> it was of this two lap course. And the problem being is like the original, the actual Lillehammer world cup spring course is awesome to watch. Really awesome to watch. This course is boring to watch <laughs> I, like a two lapper. And I'm just kind of like almost like a half pipe. Like you go down a hill with like, yeah, some people were falling in the corner, but I don't really know why. Like it's, it's not a technical corner. It's not hard. It, there's it, it, you just kind of go around and then blast up a hill and then a really long stadium. So, not the most exciting course, but the race itself was 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 exciting. I thought. And shout out to Olivia Utvard Nesbit, thirty second. That is just such a heartbreaking place to finish. But you know, 
that was tough for her, but she's got to just take the, take the positive. She's under half a second from making the heats and, and that for Canada. So that was, uh, that's always a heartbreaker, but I don't know. I don't know what else you guys want to add, but I, I what did you guys think of the women's sprint? I, I just loving all the women's races. I just think there's, uh, they're captivating. They're captivating races. Jesse's skis did look quite fast. That was one single note that I had. She was flying, catching up to people, just tucking. And I also was confused about why some people disappeared from the camera around the turn. I don't know. People were flying off like into the woods at the (laughs) bottom of the hill and they were just gone. And of course it didn't show why or who, but whatever. Um, My, my only other, I mean, I just want to underscore this one more time. And I know, you know, we've, we've, well, yeah, the, the, the German women, um, you know, you, you saw uh, Coletta Ridzek, I think uh, she, she was pressing Jesse Diggins really hard in a, in a quarterfinal race. And then um, the way Victoria Carl was racing these heats was just awesome. Like she was like, she was not like racing these heats to hang on. Like she made a move, I think it was in maybe in her Sammy where I think where she went to the front and just was, you know, she just was pulling away from Scandinavians. And, you know, I, I feel like we saw these German women kind of break out during the Olympics last year. They were just absolutely, you know, their fitness was clearly really good and they were nailing the skis and um, just delivering under pressure. And, and after seeing them kind of knocking on the door for, you know, a little while, like it's like now you have, I think two like bona fide stars in Katarina Hennig and, and Victoria Carl, they're I think 26 and 27 and just really exciting after a number of years where Germany's just kind of been in this limbo purgatory of, of world cup skiing, like to see another nation regularly getting in there and, um, yeah, I'll, I'll rave more about the quality of the women's racing after we get into today's race too, because that one was just also awesome. But um, these these races were just fun to watch for sure. No, I, I agree, and I think it's I, I I just echoing what you're saying. I think I think the investment when Schlickenrider, Peter Schlickenrider, for really going the deep tracks, the deep tracks, the silver medalist from uh, Earth, bronze, silver, bronze, I think. I think he was silver in 2002. Anyway, oh my gosh, that's a fact check. No, I mean, no, no, didn't, didn't uh, Torana Hetland out sprint Zorzi? So he would have been third. I think he's like that famous picture of TA standing on Zorzi. But anyway, Schlickenrider was a, was a national team racer for Germany back in the days in the Olympics in 2002. And he's leading the team and he's done a really, he's invested heavily in the culture of the team, both for men and women. But this has been like something that's been really important to him. And I think, I think it's a, I think it's important when you're in a rebuilding phase. And I think that's something that like Matt and, and Chris Grover, especially both those guys together have been instrumental in the rebuild with the the culture of the, the U S ski team. And it's cool to see it pay dividends. And like, I mean, this is also just what you hear and what you read all the time about international skiing, but like, listen, face the facts. There's 90 million Germans. We need Germany. They have a lot of money. They've got a lot of companies and German fans are fair weather fans. And that's totally fair. Like if they're winning, they have a lot of fans on when you're racing in Germany with a, with a strong German team, it'll be packed beers flowing. People are Oompa Loompa bands are going. It's awesome. And then if you're in that like a valley or like a period like this purgatory period, not saying where like the Germans aren't good, it's it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a, there's no vibe. It's like people aren't coming out to the races. It's not even being shown on their big channels on TV anymore. And so this is great. It's it's really really good for 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 international skiing to see the Germans do well 
on the flip side, this is not a real surprise, but especially in the men's sprint, like if anyone's surprised with what happened in the men's sprint, they shouldn't be. Norway dominated. Claybo did end up racing with a with a bit of a sore throat, which I was a bit interested. I'm like, oh, this maybe this could show some signs of like maybe he's not like quite at 100 percent But you know what? Even Claybo with a small like upper respiratory tract virus, uh, which isn't COVID, he doesn't have COVID. Uh, so far, so far, um, no, but, uh, he was great. He was, he was a notch above yet. He, he delivered every heat. He was a masterful performance and Pellegrino, the Italian had to, had to settle for second. But again, like we talked about last week, Nat, like Pellegrino's had a great start to the season and in distance and in, in sprinting, and he's not the youngest guy anymore. And he did race the 10 K skate the day before. And, you know, there's some question marks with that, like with heavy hitters, like Evan Northug, Northug being in such good shape and then the, the, the swath of Scandinavian beasts behind them. Uh, you know, it's like, oof, why was Pellegrino doing the 10K? But, you know, like he, he's got his eye on on a, a different different goals this season, but it didn't affect his sprint. I thought he had a great performance. Seeing Evan Northug come back on the podium, back-to-back podiums, like let's talk about his last four weekends of racing, the two pre-World Cup races in Munio and then in Piedestal and, and then in Ruka last weekend. and then. This one, I was like, it was a nail biter. I'm like, he's not going to do it. Like he, he almost looked like he was falling apart a little bit, technically hinging at the hips, kind of losing his rhythm, but he's just so strong right now, uh, to hold off for third Edvin anger. We talked about him and Ruka and the distance races. He's 20 years old. He's huge. He's like super tall and strong. He was only sixth last year at world junior. So he's not just like some crazy talented behemoth like we talked about uh, Mirbach who was 16 years old for Sweden who is that crazy talent that's in their pipeline I thought the way he skied it was his first world cup final for the Swede Sweden's been just so bad for so long and they were so good in men's sprinting for so long like it was Norway versus Sweden the battle of the titans for like for since sprinting's inception and to see the way he was skiing it was super inspiring to me and then paul goldberg like in fifth again like he just he can't do anything wrong everything he touches turns to gold he easily made it into the finals and yeah he ran out of steam a little bit in the final but you can never say he's skiing badly and and evanson in sixth too like he's a world junior champion also in germany in 2020 <laughs> yeah but did he have a fall what happened yeah. to him in the final yeah uh, it was yeah it was just like I, I now i'm trying to remember did he actually fall but he was just nowhere he wasn't able to contend anyway. He was out of it early and no matter what, if he ended up falling, like, did he fall? Now I feel bad, but I, I honestly don't I mean, think it, it didn't show it. I don't think so. But did he already break a pole on the last climb? Anyway, he, he was, he was kind of out of contention from the, from the word go to be perfectly honest. So he wasn't really playing, but now I'm, uh, now I'm kind of caught out. I'm kind of forget what happened to on Scott, if he fell or not, but anyway, the fact that he made the final is, is a, is an awesome performance. And I think it's cool to see him going back, but it was so close. Ben Ogden and JC. Yeah. Oh, <sighs> JC now, like, it's just like, we're so used to him being in the semis, but the, it's the way he's skiing these heats. No offense, but JC's qualifier was a bit sketchy. I mean, like he qualified 24th and it was like a shake. It's a shaky qualifier because it, the, the margins are so tight. But the way he skis his quarterfinal, the way he's skiing his semifinals now too, like he's skiing, he's taking space and that's what you need to do in the men's sprint. You, you got to own your space. And last year he was getting pushed around in some races. This year, not being pushed around as much, 
taking the space better, skiing really great, eighth place. Like this is this is this is great skiing. And Ben Ogden was so 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 yeah. close yeah. to advancing <laughs> the to the final. Wasn't quite right, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, it was like I'm like he made it. Like no way. Like there's no way he did make the final, but it was just he was just on the wrong side of that one. And and I love the young Americans. Everyone knows how much I'm a fan of the young American men's team. I think they're just so fun to watch. And a shout out to Luke Yeager too that was snuck himself into the rounds and was skiing pretty well in that quarterfinal too before things just kind of fell off the rails there a little bit with uh getting speaking of getting pushed around a little bit but I, I but you know what these are great experience he's also 22 years old like this cohort of guys is just so fun to watch and then watching them like kind of walk around like you know the world cup venue or walk around like the world cup hotel i just love it just like they're taking space they're, they're they're being themselves they're having fun and then they're delivering some just like really special performances like ben and jc did today so or not today yesterday so it was it was, uh, it was an awesome sprint America, dude. I'll say props to Ben. As as Nat mentioned, I was previously a middle school coach here in Portland, and I have to tell you, the way that some of those kids ski, it's amazing. Hair down, arms out, straight jeans out, on. jeans on, and then they win. It makes no sense. They're flailing about up and down the whole course. They're talking, they're doing whatever, and they win. So the technique will improve, I have to imagine, but sometimes it is about the grit and maybe the jeans. For sure. Great. Yeah. And like the tractor oil behind the ears or whatever. If he could, like if Ben Ogden could race in jeans, like Wranglers, like old Wrangler, he would. I promise you this, he would. And and he's gritty. Like he is super gritty. And I know people that bring it hate mail is going like, why are you saying that's like, listen, if you think Ben Ogden's skate technique is good, you're high. Like, I'm sorry. That's just the facts. But about like improving your technique, if you go back on YouTube and you Google like Therese or on YouTube, type in like Sapporo 2007 30K Classic and you see how Teresa's Yohug is skiing in the 30K Classic in 2007, you're like, there's no way this athlete will have the best classic technique in the world in like ever. And fast forward to the last later part of her career and like, there is no one skiing classic better than Tedezzi Ohug. So it's possible, Ben, you can do it, buddy. And when you do, look out because you're going to be hard to beat. You're hard to beat now. So, like, I mean, it was, a, it was amazing performance. I don't want to be clear. This is Devin's opinion, not mine. <laughs> I don't actually feel that way about Ben. In fact, I spent quite a few hours updating Ben's Wikipedia page. Um, lengthened it so it's not just a stub. Nice. That's great. And, and it, he's a better classic skier. He's a better classic skier technically than skating. I'll say that. I'll say that. I think, I think skating only got to Vermont, like in the, in the 2010s. So at least his yeah. part of Vermont. Um, I just, the only thing I wanted to add here was um, I, in contrast to um, men's distance racing in which, you know, there were 30 Norwegians in the top 32 on, on Friday, um, this race, the men's race, there were like something like a dozen nations in, in the top 30 people who made the heats. Like I'm looking like Norway, Italy, Sweden, USA, France, uh, Switzerland, Austria, Poland, Finland, Great Britain. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, two, two British dudes in there. Um, I just, I really liked uh, seeing the the intros to the heats and every heat it was sort of like yeah weird random dude from Poland dude, dude from Austria and I actually felt similarly 
there were like a bunch of checks, I think, and some polls in the uh, in the women's race. Um, you know, Iduka from Latvia is just like it's aside from the men's distance racing, actually, it it feels like racing is a little bit more open this year. And I mean, obviously, Rush is not in there, but um, yeah, I thought that was cool. I agree. I totally, I, I, I totally agree. Cause I think it was good to, to quantify that. Like we were harping on it's men's distance that we're really harping on. Cause I totally agree. I think the sprints are fun. Like, yeah, Scandinavians dominated the final or whatever, but like, come on, like, have you been watching sprinting since the first sprint that ever happened? I mean, even in the heyday of sprinting, I mean, it wasn't un- uncommon to have five Norwegians in the final of a classic sprint against Emily Jansson. That happened almost every single time. Like they're good in sprinting, but when you go deeper down, it's it's a lot more open. And that's what makes these performances by these 22-year-old American kids that much more special. Like JC, I, I know we're like used to it because he's been in a lot of semifinals now, but like these are great performances from young athletes from the US and we can't forget that. So it's, uh, no, that's, that's a super good point to, to bring up. And now we got to move on to like what my favorite race of the whole the whole weekend the women's 20k so good it was awesome the women's 20k was awesome the pack with this yeah impressive yeah yeah it was so cool to see that group of 16 women yeah and it was not like the men's where it was a comfort cruise like they were trying they were attacking they were trying on that long hill in the back after only a couple laps like, like Frida's moving up to the front after only like a couple laps there, trying to drill it, see if she can get space. It's not quite working. Trying again, Abba Anderson tried, then they try together and then the Swedes try together. And in the end, they get a gap and it's like, okay, well, you know, they have like over five seconds, like this should hold and doesn't hold. And the pack skis back to them. And then you're like, oh my gosh. And then Tyrion Zvang just looks like a total hero. And you're like, there is no chance that Frida's going to hold on to win. Like she's going to get undressed in the sprint. It's like, shut your mouth. I'm taking this. Like I tried the whole race. I even got a gap with my teammate and I'm going to take it. I also love seeing Ebba Anderson in third because like often when the pack swallows up the crew, you're like, okay, Ebba's going to just get like completely undressed. But she did enough with that little break to like have that tiny, tiny little gap that held through the stadium. She ends up on the podium. Henning, I don't know if you guys saw this. I don't know if they showed up. Oh, they did. It was so She was going to win. That was tough. I think she was going to win. She was going mock Schnell. Like, it was impressive. And the way she was doing it was, like, in great technique, low shoulders, like, really, really charging, driving. Their their skis were great again, Germany. And that was was a heartbreaker. But – Moa Ilar too, the young Swede, who I guess she's not that young, 25, but like still, like it was a lot of great storylines. And then, I mean, I'm just so over the moon thrilled for Catherine Stewart Jones with like a truly breakout performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, 13th place for Catherine. And it has been so long, like over a decade, since I've seen Canadians, women on the World Cup really, really fighting, like really, really fighting and taking like no prisoners and wanting it. And she was dangling the last couple laps on the big long uphill, just off the back of that pack or on the pack, but just like hanging on for dear life. And she was able to do it and finishes with the 13th place. Like it's great momentum for the team. This is happening in Norway too. Like the national group for the Norwegian women is also not 
bad like for all their bad press and stuff like it's not they're not bad like they're good and i thought it was just a breakthrough performance i know i'm just going on and on but were you guys uh, it was awesome were you guys ripping shots of hot maple syrup in the wax bus after that? <laughs> we should have. We should have. Absolutely. But there was, there was too much to do. But, and, and you know what? It's only the second weekend. We got to, we got, and, and you know what? Like we still, we still, we still are the country of like Becky Scott and Sarah Renner and Chandra Crawford and that sort of stuff. So, I mean, like, come on. The 13th is amazing for Catherine. We're really over the moon. It was some beautiful performance, but let, let's get top 10 because it's in there. Like Catherine's going to get some top 10s in the world cup this year. If she continues to fight like this and ski like this. And I think it's just, it's so inspiring to watch. And I, oh, I have nothing but good things to say. And just the fighting spirit. I mean, there's one takeaway for any young listener or whatever. It's like, well, I hope when you see Diggins, you see how hard she goes. And I hope like you probably weren't, they probably weren't paying so much attention to Catherine today because she was a bit in the back of that league group, but like fighting hard to be there. And that's, that's how you get good. And that was, it was really cool. I just, I say there's a takeaway for the old among us. The skier from Japan deserves a massive shout out. I'm saying Ashida, date of birth, 1980, <laughs> crushed it. Still hanging out. I'm, I'm just not familiar yeah. uh, with this person. So I was like, wow, props to Japan mm-hmm. in this race. Yeah, Mas- M- Masako Ishida is a is an absolute veteran who just, you know, I think has never, never stopped racing. She is from the North island in japan of hokkaido and uh, i think you know pretty uh pretty solid classic classic specialist um but yeah she's been racing really well this season so far i i just also wanted to i mean double down i've i've said it already i've said it twice i'm going to say it a third time i mean the women's racing this weekend this race in particular i agree with Devin. it was by far the best race like i'm i was on the edge of my couch choking on my bagel it just was like <laughs> It was awesome. Uh, it felt yeah, like a bike race. Happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Just like to have to have Frida off the front, like making that move, and like it, she was she was kind of dangling there, and you know you were like, is she going to hold on? Is she not going to hold on? Having everything come back together, having Hennig break the pole, which was absolutely devastating. Although you got to say she has no one to blame but herself because she just was pinned, as Devin was saying. It just that race, that race had everything. I hope we get more like that this season. For sure. I, and the, the yang of the yin yang there is the men's race. And I'm sorry. Like, I mean, there was some fun things that happened, like, or it was interesting. We can start off right away with, okay, there's eight Norwegians in the top 10. So like, I like we're saying any distance race early, especially in period one, if you're looking for like awesome, cool storylines, sorry, like they're not there, but, but there was a climate protest on the first lap yeah i want to talk about this yeah and in norway in norway it's like a big thing lately like there's a lot of artwork that has become like famous like uh, edvard monk like who's a famous painter some of his paintings have been like tomato soup has been thrown on them and uh vingelung park and like 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 famous sculptors have been like paint has been sprayed all over these like famous sculptures in in uh yeah i mean like aggressive activism climate activism and there's been a lot in the media in in Bidestolen. There was actually a Swedish use from Sweden, but he raced like he was a total hacker. But like he raced with a with a banner that he pulled out of his bib and, and said like like essentially like calling Equinor, which is the half owned. It's a state owned oil company that's just raking in money like you cannot believe. And there's a big political debate going on right now 
about whether or not Norway should look for more oil or just be like okay with the oil production that they have now in the North Sea. And this is a big political debate that's going on right now. So, the, so the, these climate activists in Norway are really like, no, we're sick of this. Not only are we destroying the environment, but like the fact that Norway is even talking about like perhaps looking out for more oil, like we've had enough. And that's what the that's what the banner said, well, anyways. It said and, like, and, and to add, um, sorry, I didn't want to cut you off. I mean, I think there was a reference to this. No. There was a reference to because I think Equinor. Formerly Statoil is a sponsor of oh, yeah. some like Norwegian cross-country ski program. And I, you know, I want to talk about this because I, I think it's really interesting. Like here in Alaska, um multinational oil company Conoco Phillips is, you know, one of the biggest supporters of of you know local cross-country ski events, which is it's hard to sort of criticize, but I think it's appropriate for for folks in the ski world to be questioning like what are we how should we be thinking about what we're facing globally when we have oil companies sponsoring our ski events, which, you know, might not exist. You know, if Devin, if Devin wants to see races on the traditional Lillehammer sprint course, um, I think we're going to have to move more, move more quickly. And, you know, I don't think that, um, well, yeah, I, I'll, 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 st I'll stop there, but no, no, think, it's true. You know, it's true. These are great. Like, it's a great debate. And I think this is like, this is a challenge. Like this is a huge, huge challenge. And you know what? Like, it's also tough. Like we got to look ourselves in the mirror. Like I love skiing. Hell, it was my life forever. And, but like, don't for a second think that professional cross-country skiing is at all good for the environment. Like we are burning CFCs at like 150 degrees Celsius. We're driving transport trucks all through Europe. We're traveling back and forth on airplanes. Like what, just to ski around. I mean, it sounds cynical. I, I love it. I don't, I don't, I'm just like, I'm still watching it. Like I'm into it, but like, so when you have the, some youth, like really kind of pissed off in this case, it was nothing about the athletes. They weren't, they weren't like calling out fists. They weren't calling out the world cup circus. They weren't calling out like international sport. They were calling out looking for oil in the North sea, opening up more swaths of, of like tenure essentially for North sea oil. And they're totally against it. So I kind of like, I mean, what are you gonna say? Like, I agree with you. Like we should, I, I live in Norway and I hope we don't look for more oil. This is outrageous and ridiculous doing this in a cross country ski race, which is close to my heart. And like the poor athletes that are trying their best. And then they're like jamming up the course. Well, luckily, yeah, we, can, they can know we, enough, I, luckily they know enough about skiing that they didn't do it on downhill. Imagine they did it on a downhill at 60 yeah. an hour. Yeah, People I are just, breaking their collarbones and breaking their, their legs like half. Noel Hoffman's busted his leg in a cross-country ski race. If you put that banner and all that shit when you're going like 60, 70 kilometers an hour down the hill with a pack of 80 people, you, you have broken bones. So luckily the activists know enough about cross-country skiing that they did this on an uphill where like, it was annoying. It was annoying. Yeah. 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 Well, I just wanted to just, the, the Finnish guy it, broke it, his pole, his race was ruined and that sucks for the Finnish dude. But like, at least it wasn't a complete, utter nightmare like it could have been i just wanted to explain exactly what happened like these activists like it as the athletes are coming up this big hill on the course they they roll out like a banner that they spread across the classic tracks literally in the middle of the course and and they the they're like jury members trying to like pull them off but the athletes are coming up like andrew musgrave has to like ski like people are skiing around the sides of them so it was like 
and it was it was on the tv broadcast like it was a huge it was a huge cluster um and i think there was one shot before too where i it was so fast but i think a woman was being like dragged off there was some weird noise and yeah. then it cut away so fast and it cut away from the banner pretty fast and i was wondering hannah and i were talking about this like what's the audience like how many people saw that because I, I too was wondering like, wow, how interesting that they did this like in the middle of a race when like this I year, mean, like can't I really mean, do anything about it. But I assume in Norway, way more people are watching this than in the US. Like what kind of impact probably, you not getting yeah, about it, right? There are probably I mean, like yeah. a million people watching that on TV in yeah. Norway or at least hundreds of thousands. And I mean, I just want to say like, it worked, you know, we're talking about it now. And, and you know, like, I don't know. I, I kind of, I kind of disagree where I'm like, look, it's not great to put athletes at risk and to have people breaking poles, but it's like, this is an existential threat to like all of us, our kids. Like I'm like, great. Fuck up a ski race. Like it's fine. Nobody died. Um, uh, you know, I don't feel like it would be great if it happened at world championships, but like, you know, world cup in Norway, we're like, you know, we're not having these conversations in the U S not, not, in this way. And, um, I don't know, I, th I thought it was like, I thought it was kind of cool and it definitely gave us something to talk about too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to take the contrarian side of that just from the racer perspective. Like I, I'm totally, I'm to like the conversation has to happen. And I think it's an abomination that Norway, any political, like the, the leading political part, it's a coalition government, but that the fact that this is, has even been discussed before it got shut down actually by a opposition party, only like a month ago or a few weeks ago even so there's a moratorium they're not going to look for for new oil until 2025 at least so that that for any like norwegian like anyway this is like just, just to give some context about how this whole thing happened and but 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 to the protesting it's just tough like i i just i'm all for i'm all for making a stand i thought what the guy did in vita stolen was awesome because you do your own individual start race, you come across and you know there's TV cameras, you know everyone's watching and you go like, you kind of like call out Equinor big time saying like, what are you doing? Is that like, what are we doing here? Awesome, not hurting anybody, getting your message across, totally good. As an ex racer, if I was bunged up, if I was a Norwegian racer, that like, this is my one chance and luckily this didn't happen, but like, if you're the Norwegian racer with one world cup in your whole career and like, like some people do this and like there was people were really worried because there was some rumors going around on the radio. I, I mean, I was out in the coach with the like with the radios and stuff. It's like, it's like, Oh, they dumped oil all over the track. Like, you know, and everyone's like, Oh my God, am I going to ruin my like best pair of skis? And then am I going to fall? Like, and luckily that wasn't a real thing, but like, this is all the kind of things that are happening. And like, I understand this is an existential threat. I, like this has, these conversations have to happen. We're, we just now spent like 15 minutes about it or whatever. Awesome. Really good. Doing this in a world cup when people have given their whole life to it in a mass start. I, I know it's provocative. Like there's no question. It's like throwing like a tomato soup on, on like mispainting is provocative, but like, like, I don't know. Are you, are you, are, are you moving the needle though? Or are you just pissing off old people? And like, that's what I worry about. And, and there's a lot of volunteers in Lillehammer that have like busted their ass to get these races. Like, this isn't like a big, people don't really understand that. I think like with professional sports, especially skiing, which isn't that big a professional sport. Like it takes a village, like the community of Lillehammer is out there working so hard to get these races off the ground. And then it, it's, it, but it, it made an impact. But I, I just think like, 
would have been better to do something like in the stadium where there's like cable cameras and everything like that and not put athletes at risk. That that's, that's just it. Cause if anyone hurts themselves, I mean, I know we're all going to hurt ourselves. We're die of climate change and stuff, but like, anyway, it, it just, it, it's, it's, it's a difficult discussion. It's a difficult topic, but it, it gave some excitement to an otherwise boring race as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, we got to also just really quickly, the one, the one really exciting, well, the one exciting thing that did happen was watching poor Andrew Musgrave struggle. Yeah, sure. up yeah, we got to talk about yeah. Yeah. What's yeah. What, what choice yeah. was that? That was a ridiculous choice, what it was. But but the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, it shows how easy the course was. Like the course was easy, yeah. and they decided not to put technique zones. So FIS has come on board in the last few years to like. They have the right to put on like classical technique zones, where you where you where they put like signs out on the course and and lines in the snow where you have to use traditional classic techniques. That means diagonal striding or herringboning, like running outside the tracks. They decided not to do that for this race, which was a bit interesting, actually, because like it was it's an easy course. Like, I mean, I've double pulled World Cups. Like I've double pulled in toe block, 15K classic in toe block. I've double pulled it. And toe block in this course here in Lillehammer, pretty similar. I would even say that Lillehammer is easier than toe block. And toe block is one of the easiest courses in the World Cup. So I'm not so surprised that if it was an individual start, you would have seen more people double pull, I think. Uh, mass start is quite the risk because you can't accelerate double pulling, uh, like you can in diagonal striding. And then two, like, I don't know, Musgrave, did you test your skate skis? Cause they were like yes. not faster. They weren't faster than classic skis today. And, and that's, that was not the condition where like skate skis are making a big difference. So Musgrave is like out there smashing, like double pulling and you're just like, and like not getting any distance on the downhill, like getting swallowed up by guys on classic skis. And you're like, oh my God. And he ends up 30th and the poor guys had such a great season. And like talk about the overall world cup, like top three in the overall world cup is like a real possibility if he continues this momentum to be like top five, top six in every race. And now he's got 30th where you just like threw away so many points. He was sixth last weekend in a classic race. What are you doing? Like, so it was a, it was a, it was a bad, it was a bad tactical error, but I mean, you took a risk and it blew up, but uh, in his face, I, uh, but anyway, <laughs> I, I asked him about it. We exchanged a couple messages. Um, he did, he said the skis were faster, I think at the beginning. And he said, you know, they slowed down quite a bit over the course of the race, um, 20 K and that, I guess that is more, um, typical to happen with skate skis than it is with classic skis. Um, and also thought the pacing was sort of an interesting question with, uh, just there, are, I think places where it's actually natural, where he probably could have gone faster, uh, than the group was going, maybe not on the, on the climbs, but maybe on the flats and the downhills. So, uh, he said he only regretted it on the last lap. So yeah. for, whatever, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, and you know why you were good in the last lap is to me you see it is like the what what worked for him the first bunch of laps, the first five laps was like he was able to maintain that high position in the pack, and that was the whole race today. Like, I mean, nothing was gonna happen. You just had to be in a good position when the when the race happened, and the race wasn't gonna happen to the last sprint hill anyway. And he was, he was maintaining that good position for sure. But then on that last lap, he lost that position that that like good position at like the front the sharp end of the race and then like you have double you're just double pulling like as everyone's like cutting lines and like sprinting diagonal striding and you're just like on your arms blocked and like getting the door closed on you all over town you're standing there like this like an idiot while people are just like ripping by you and you can't accelerate as fast and then he ends up 30th with a body that is you know in top five shape 
So that was that was that was tough to see. But that said, the race itself was was like a flat stage in the Tour de France, you know, like with but except without the nice sunflowers and without the castles and without like talking about what river we're crossing and like what great baked good the this French town is known for. It was just like a fairly boring course <laughs> uh, with a bunch of men skiing zone three because they knew they watched the women's race. They watched Frida try. They watched Frida try and get distance and not accomplish it. So they were just like, well, we'll just kind of like, it was just going to come down to the last hill. I just need to be in the best position I can be when that last hill happens. And that's what the, that's what some of the smart athletes did. I do want to say this though. I also find it fascinating that even in a race like this, that is like kind of bingo in a way, because like, you know, it's a just ginormous pack. The best guys still win. And I'm so impressed. Like Paul still wins. If it was a 20K individual start classic, Paul isn't a bad person to put your money on to win. Didrik, who is like, can't sprint himself out of a paper bag, is fourth because he knows how to position himself. He, he, he was there in the positioning. Nianga, who's just amazing all year, is, I mean, one home and cold last year. Positioning. Should, like, these guys know where to position themselves. You look at Emma Leverson, that's not in great shape. Again, when the race happened, he knows where to position himself. And, and like, I, I'm really, really actually impressed that, that these guys were able to do this because, like, man, it, it, the best guys still win. It's incredible. But another guy that had an amazing race, huge shout-out, Tony Sear, Antoine Sear in 12th place and super patient coming off sickness, unsure of his shape uh, and just skied a very smart tactical race and put himself in the position to strike and comes away with a top 12. Like, man, it's not every day that Canada has guys in distance races coming top 12. So it, it, that part was exciting, but yeah, it's just a, I don't know what you guys think about that. I don't really think about it. Yeah, no, it's just wildly boring compared to the women, to be honest. And like, it just sucks to watch them not trying as hard as the women. Also, it just, yeah, like, why are thrill, we watching it? Yeah. Is there. <laughs> yeah. Gus I feel like, oh, yeah, that's true. You can root for Gus. Yeah, I do root for I, Gus. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a fun one for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Schumacher was, uh, was 17th. Seems like he's just kind of slowly rounding rounding his way into shape. And again, I mean, you know, 10 Norwegians or whatever in the top, whatever, but uh, there were also, you know, it, it gets mixed up pretty quickly after that. So just fun to see some new names in there, but yeah, I didn't fall asleep, but I probably could have fallen asleep if, uh, if I tried. So it goes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, it's just not every day you have 35 men yeah. coming into the last sprint hill together. Cause that's what it was. Like from first to 35th was 15 seconds. And that all happened on the sprint hill because guys were falling, breaking poles, whatever. Like, you know, they were all there. And I don't know. I just think the course just didn't lend itself. And, and I have to say too, like it was the most perfect classic skiing. It's like the classic skiing of your dreams. Like it is minus four, perfect tracks, glazing on the downhills. It's nice and fast. You, you, you're, you're kicking like it's 10 out of 10 kick. It, it, was, it was just like a dream to classic ski. So on an easy course like that too. I mean, like, man, like the waxing doesn't really come into play. Everyone has good kick and with such a huge draft effect, like, I mean, you can have a bit slow skis and maybe it'll put you out of position. You end up 15th instead of fifth or something, but you're still with the group as long as you're fit enough, you know, and these guys are fit. Like all these guys are fit. So, you know, to get dropped in a race like this, like you had a bad day, like you had a really bad day or you had just horrendously bad skis, which, which can happen. I mean, there's individual variation there too, but uh, 
Yeah, Gus and 17. I mean, it's just like, I don't know. It's just like you followed the lazy river to come out 20. I don't know. Didn't, you know he, didn't I mean? he have a tough season last year, though? So tough. Like, so yeah. tough. So it yeah. seems to be. And it's like been a, a tough season. And yeah, and it's been a tough season from this year and I, so far. And I think this is like, take, take the confidence. Like, I don't know, man. Like, Gus is like, he's such a huge talent. And like, but be patient. These results will come. You can't win World Juniors and like lead your team to back to back world junior men's relay wins without being an immense 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 talent and potential so it, it's in there and uh take them confidence from today i think like both gus and tony's race was wonderful like it was just so fun and awesome to see and you take confidence from that because hey you know what when the opportunities are given i put myself in a position to, to race into the top 20 that's awesome so hats off to them and we'll look forward to bite a stone next week well, I do just want to quickly ask um, before we go, because I know it's it's uh, probably way past bedtime in, in Oslo and, you know, you got some got some probably hardcore molecular biology or something to do tomorrow. But um, I feel like, OK, you were on scene for three days at the World Cup. I mean, you must have gotten like like we, we got to get like at least a little bit of of you know, really super inside gossip, the kind of thing that, you know, will make people think twice before they talk to you on the side of the trail. Like, I don't know anything like wax, uh, like wax, uh, technology, uh, coaching, coaching drama. Like what's, what's, what was the, what was going on on the world cup circuit this weekend? Oh, I don't, you know what? I don't have a whole lot of like really fun gossip. That's radio friendly. No, I actually don't have that much fun gossip in general, but, um, but one thing I do think is kind of interesting for like really techie dorky people out there when it's minus like i'm talking celsius now so you guys gonna have to do the conversions but like for you know when it's like minus three four five six a lot of people just yeah no yeah so people people think like okay well then it's just like it's hard wax like it's it's like this is hard wax scheme for sure and that means we use like a we're talking classic scheme like we're gonna use a hard wax binder and because i mean it's fine i mean it's like you're you're skiing on like super extra like roadie super extra which is like one of the best gear boxes to ever ever be invented or something and and you're just like okay this is like no problem you would never really think to put a clister base on these kind of conditions because it, it just everything about it screams like this is hard wax skiing and it is hard wax skiing and i think what is like really really fascinating and cool on the technical side is like i would say probably like 60 to 70 percent of the men's field or more had the world's thinnest clister base, like so, so thin as their binder, they're using clister and they're rolling it on with these like rollers that they make. Essentially you just like put the clister and heat it up to a certain degree. And it's just like a roll, like a kind of like, think of like a, like a cylinder that rolls and you just kind of roll the ski over it and you get like the world's and you can adjust the height of it. So it's like, it almost looks like there's no clister whatsoever. On this, this is this is like new technology since you started race like or retired yeah or no 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 no, no. I, it, it was it was in the tail end of my career too but but i think this is just like kind of a really interesting change in like just thinking about getting the fastest skis with with perfect kick because i mean like minus minus five and like bomber tracks like i mean like your grandma can wax your skis and they're going to be awesome like it's 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 easy to get good kick and stuff but like the fact that so many teams land on this, like what I think is kind of, you know, for the layman would be like, this is kind of out of the box thinking, like, why are we even screwing around with cluster on conditions like this? But it's, it's incredible how much thinner you can get away with you. You're getting away with like barely any kick, you're barely any kick wax under your, under your foot. And it's making it super fast. So there's a little technical takeaway. 
Yeah. People people can mess around with that. But other than that, no real, I got that's, nothing. Yeah, that's Honest really, that's after, really not gossip at all, actually. No. That's just <laughs> no, and actually, no, I know. I know that's like super dorky. And I do have some, and I do actually have some good gossip, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to out the people about it now on this other podcast. I'm sorry. I'm just, okay. I'm wow. I, this isn't gossip, but I did want to say, I told Nat that I wanted to say this. Um, I'm going to defend like finished food really quick. Um, cause I know that you were talking about finished food being white and you got some shit for that. So first of all, that's okay. Like food can be white. Like that's totally fine. I'm from Hancock, Michigan. Not sure if you're familiar with the history or where that is. It's in the UP. Um, nationals are actually in Houghton this year. So it's right across the bridge, but like all our street names have like Finnish names underneath the English names. So there's a lot of Finnish history there and I love Nisu bread. So shout out to the people of Finland creating nisu bread i usually bring a whole tote bag full of nisu when i come back to maine from the holidays because i love it so much so that cardamom so prideful the up too it's just really very very powerful of the up yeah there's nothing like it no i and i i agree like big i i I took some heat i took some heat and i (laughs) I think people weren't listening to the podcast because I got like mad chirp by like one of the national newspapers in Finland. Alex and I said the food used to suck and it is a huge improvement. It's like the most improved player on the whole World Cup is that. That said, um, yeah, a lot of lot of Finnish people where I come from in, in Sabri as well. Uh, so it's good. It's good to give them. It, it's it's good to give them the, their due. I think that that that's. Uh, I was I was right to be, to be to be sure. But before, just to add a little bit of insult to injury, let's uh-huh. let's rewind the clock to two thousand five. The French president Jacques Chirac, in like um in a meeting with like world leaders, <laughs> was quoted saying, "You can't trust people who cook as badly as that." After Finland, it's the country with the worst food. <laughs> and this is <laughs> oh, okay, that's brutal. So so um yeah, and 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 in, in that context, he was saying that British food was the worst food and second worst was Finland. So yeah, there you go. Like you're not last. No, I'm just kidding. You British know, food's great. <clears throat> this is co- coming to you from Devin Kershaw, who, as the Finnish newspapers pointed out, never really raced very well in Ruka anyway. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> If, if, if you want to, if you want to like the, the well of self-loathing I have, like no, no one is going to make me feel worse about myself than I do on a daily basis. So good luck. I know how many times <laughs> I've been 80th on the world cup. It's a number, quite a number, but I've also been good once in a while too. So by everything in between, but it's good. Good to call me on the food thing. Um, Finland does have some really great food. The baked goods, absolutely. No question. And I forget what they're called. I forget what they call their cinnamon buns too. Like not, but it's like, they're amazing too. Anyway, I've eaten a, my fair share of those in Lati and they're, they're unbelievably good. And Finnish pancakes. Let's, Ooh, let's give a shout out yeah. to Finnish pancakes. Shout out to Finnish pancakes. Yeah, shout yeah. out to Finnish. We can, we can, we can leave the <laughs> yeah. podcast with like Finnish pancakes or what's up. Oh, yeah. They sure do. They sure do. Yeah. <laughs> they are so good. So Finland, thank you for your pancakes. They're, um, they're outstanding. And I'm not, I, this is at no part of me being facetious. They're freaking amazing. No, it's, so not a good, it's incredible. Yeah, it's for real. All right, guys. Well, uh, yeah, we'll see you, uh, see you next weekend and bite us still. And then, uh, Hannah and Olivia, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. That was super fun. Take care guys. Thanks, thanks for, having for having us. us. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.